Pride is a word that I want to um, talk about a bit this morning as we're beginning. Um, for many of us, the word pride in our American 2021 understanding is a positive, right? I take pride in my work, or I'm proud of my kids, or I'm proud to be an American. But almost always exclusively in Scripture, it's a negative, it's a bad thing, and not only is it a bad thing, it's a sin, and on top of that, many theologians would say pride is actually the root of all sin. So we have taken it and made it into a good thing, um, taking pride in things, but actually the Bible says pride is uh, one of the worst attributes that we can really tackle. Augustine called pride the evil from which the rebellious action against God's commandment arose. Pride is the evil from which the rebellious action against God's commandment arose. So let's define pride this way for our purposes, that it's the love of one's own excellence or confidence in one's own excellence. For our purpose today, the biblical definition of pride is the love of one's own excellence or confidence in one's own excellence. And Augustine would expand on that. He said it began as a voluntary choice to move away from God's goodness and to the perversely, uh, uh, perversely exaltation of ourself. It's the exaltation of self. It's an unhealthy, unrealistic, unholy love of one's own excellence or confidence in one's own excellence. Martin Luther wrote that pride is the cause of all evil. When someone says something like that, you take notice. Pride is the, is the cause of all evil? He says this vice is dangerous because it allows individuals to trust in external obedience. In other words, the things that I can do rather than to have faith in our Savior, Jesus. We're continuing this sermon series called What Did Jesus Do? And today we're talking about what did Jesus teach about pride and humility. And the text that I like to use this morning is from the New Testament account according to Dr. Luke in the 17th chapter, rather in the 14th chapter. This is Jesus visiting a Pharisee's house. And I start in verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited also. If so, the host who invited both you and him will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the place of least importance. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. May it please God that we would benefit from the reading of his holy word this morning. Let's come together in prayer. Lord, this is a tough one because on some levels it's okay to be proud, to take pride in our work, to, to, to have a confidence to do things in life. You don't want us to be quivering and shaking with this idea that I, I can't do that. You, you want us to have confidence in the abilities you've given us, but um, the overall idea of humility, that this is all about you, that we get to partake in your existence, that it is for your glory and your honor that all these things exist and happen. Um, let us be reminded of, of that. This morning, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, and together we say, amen. Let's start here, that pride is an anti-God state of mind. Pride is an anti-God state of mind. Pride is anti-God because it's saying to God, I'm good enough and I don't need you. Remember, it's a love or a confidence in one's own excellence. 
God, I'm good. I, I, I'm covered. I don't really need you. So that makes it an anti-God state of mind. Proverbs 16.5 says, the Lord detests the proud of heart. The Lord detests the proud of heart. The language gets even stronger in a different translation. The ESV, same verse says, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Pride is an anti-God state of mind. Pride is unhealthy because it's a a self-reliance. I can do this life on my own. I'm good, God. I don't need you. Isaiah 13, 11 says this, I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. So why is God putting an end to arrogance and humbling the proud? Because it's pride that separates us up from God. It's a self-reliance that's dangerous and foolish and unholy. Proverbs 8.13, this is God speaking. I hate pride and arrogance. I hate evil behavior and perverse speech. Uh, From the Bible parable that we just read at the beginning, of course, Jesus is talking about those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the focus for us this morning is a life of humility. What does that look like? We want to be people who please God, and God says, if you are to be one of my children, I have saved you and brought you into my kingdom, but now you live out a life of humility. And what does that look like? Well, our first stopping point is point number two, that the humble see, people, uh, see themselves accurately. Humble people see themselves accurately with a clear lens. All humanity has complete reliance on God. The fact that we exist right now has to do with the fact that there's oxygen and my heart beats and gravity is at work and all the things that go into our existence, the old, old church fathers would call that common grace that everyone receives, the, the holy and the unholy, common grace. If God would turn off that common grace, we would cease to exist in a second. And those who are prideful don't even recognize that. They just think this kind of happened and I'm good right now. And they don't think about the complexity of life and what that means. All of humanity has complete reliance on God for a relationship that's been restored with him. Prideful people don't think that, but the humble see themselves accurately. Lord, I count on you for my very existence, and Lord, I count on you for my salvation, the fact that I have a, a right relationship with you. Romans 12:3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Humble people see themselves accurately. John Piper is a pastor in Minnesota, Baptist, so we would disagree with John on some some points of doctrine, but I think he gets it right here in this quote from John Piper. He says, as soon as it lands on you with devastating force that you are owed hell, but got heaven at the cost of the life of the Son of God, so much for your sense of self-entitlement. That is when humility happens. Humble people see themselves accurately. So what do you think of yourself? It's really an identity question, right? Who are you? So Christians who have a biblical mindset think three things. They think, I'm a sinner, but they know that they're saved by God's grace that came to them through the perfect and finished work of Jesus. That I'm a sinner, that I'm saved by God's grace, and that came to me through the perfect and finished work of Jesus on the cross. One of the biggest lies that the devil tells us that we believe, and I believe this really is at the core of our message, I didn't make it one of the points, but maybe jot it down if it touches you, is the thought that I'm not that bad. 
well, I'm not that bad. I, I've never killed anybody, and I have problems, but Mark, don't tell me I'm that bad. Don't tell me I'm deserving of hell. The Bible is clear that anyone who falls short of God's standard of perfection is to be away from him. So don't be fooled by the lie of the evil one who says, you're not, you're not that bad. You're not one of those people. How interesting in the 3rd and 4th century um, that some Christians decided to cloister themselves, right? Uh, they had a monastic um, existence. If we just get a group of us together who are pretty good people and we go off over there away from people and we build walls around our place and we just live among ourselves and we work toward um, a better life, that's called piety or pietism, um, and we just keep those people away from us, we'll be much better off. Boy, the depth of pride in that, right? If, if we just keep away from those people, because those are the really dark people. I mean, we're a little bit sinful, but though, the depth of pride in, in that mindset, if we just keep away from those, when we ourselves are in the deepest trouble as, as anyone else because of the sin that we've been born into. G.K. Chesterton was a pastor from decades ago, and he says this. He says that a man was meant to be doubtful of himself, but have complete assurance of the gospel. A man was made to be doubtful of self, but have complete assurance and trust in God's word. And we have just flipped that completely, haven't we? Now mankind has full confidence in self. But a real doubt of God's word, I'm not, I'm not sure if that really even makes sense. Do you, do you see it in society today? My goodness, it's everywhere. The pride of man's heart that I've got this right. You guys are the wrong ones. Humble people see themselves accurately. Number three, humble people are free because the need to pretend is over. Humble people are, uh, this is a big exhale. This is a, that feels good. I'm free because the need to pretend is over. I understand who I really am. We don't need to deceive people into thinking that we are something that we are not. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. To some who were confident in their own righteousness, that sounds like pride, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like that other person, those robbers, those evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus concludes, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, the tax collector went home justified before God. And then this familiar phrase that we've heard once before this morning, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's no, no longer a need to pretend. Um, the story goes that there was an army private on overnight duty on the watch, and he was tired, so he, he kind of fell asleep standing up. You can kind of do that if you're tired enough. Eyes were closed, and he kind of was in this a sleepy, sleepy state. But it was that sleepy state where you can kind of sense what's going on around you. You've been in that before. So he's kind of standing there, half asleep, eyes closed. But he realizes that there's a superior officer staring right at him, glaring at him, and he knows he's in trouble. So without opening his eyes, he goes, Amen. <laughs> pretending that he was praying. We no longer need to pretend. There's freedom in that. I know who I am. I know I'm a wreck. I'm a failure, but by God's grace, he stands me up and makes me clean and puts me on a path of righteousness. 
Stop putting on display. You know, that's real prevalent on social media, right? I mean, we see the perfect pictures and the perfect families. And, and I want you to put great pictures of yourself and your family at the beach, those beautiful pictures, or out for a great meal, or at this, you know, that's okay, as long as the motivation isn't to let's make myself look as great as possible to everyone else, and using crazy filters to like make myself look prettier, and all that stuff. Hey, but display your family on social media. It's great share, but don't do it with the motivation of, I want everyone to see how perfect and together we are. Um, number four, um, humble people look inward and search themselves. This is closely related, right? They look inward and search themselves. In the book of Lamentations, um, the prophet Jeremiah writes this. He says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Examine our ways, look at ourselves, and test them. And the second part is as important as the first part because I believe Jeremiah knew that when we look at ourselves, we'll be so desperate and so broken that we don't have anything else to do except to turn to the Lord. So humble people look inward and they search themselves. Two young men were um, walking around. They, they barely knew each other, and they lost both of their girlfriends. They were lost in the crowd, and the, the one says to the other, well, what does your girlfriend look like? He says, whoa, she's stunning. Beautiful hair, great eyes, uh, great face, stunning figure. And he says, what does your girlfriend look like? And he says, uh, never mind, let's just look for yours. <laughs> they, were, they were searching. I'm asking you this morning to search yourself, to look inward, and do a spiritual diagnostic. What's going on in your life? I don't know much about MRIs, this magnetic technology that allows medical people to look inside the body, but it's really cool. What do I know about it except what I've seen online? But the imaging is stunning. They can look inside ourselves. And I'm asking you to do that this morning and in the weeks to come. Do a spiritual diagnostic. Do a spiritual MRI. Where am I? Have I, have, do I have unconfessed sin? Is there pride in my life? Do I have an unhealthy and unholy love of my own excellence and confidence in my own excellence? Humble people look inward and they search themselves. If you have trouble searching yourself, ask God to do it for you. Um, Old Testament David, oh, he, he was in trouble with sin. He pulled off some doozies. But in a famous chapter of repentance and confession, Psalm 139, David asks God to search him, and he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Search yourself. If, if that's not working for you, ask God to search you. He will, he will point out to you where it is that you are far from him. Interesting study from the University of London. This is so great. 93% of us think we're above average drivers. <laughs> 93%. Are you kidding? Have you been on 480? <laughs> Most of us think that we're smarter and friendlier than the average person. Have you been on 480? Even the same, same study, even among murderers and thieves, people in prison, most of them think they are better people than the better person than most people, and they think they're kinder. And you won't be surprised by the conclusion. Most of us in the world think that we are more humble than the average person. Wow, where are we? Where are we in this self-deception, this um, reliance on, this love of my own excellence, and this confidence in my own? Excellence. Oh, well, number five, humble people look up and find salvation. Humble people look up and find salvation. I had originally written this point as being humble people look up and are crushed by God's holiness. 
That's true, and I'll explain why I wanted to put that up there, but why I ended up here. Um, holiness, right? This is the thing we talk about. So God is so off the chart good that he is other than us. That's holiness. He's so off the chart good that he is nothing like us. That's what holiness is. If there's like a goodness scale, and the very person who ever lived other than Jesus is like here, and then all the other really good people are here, and you and me are kind of here, and then the really bad people are here, and then the very worst people who ever lived are here. Like, that's the scale. Well, God is so off the chart good, he is in the stratosphere. He is like near Mars, in his goodness, and he is so off the chart good that he's holy and he's other than us. And when we look up and we're crushed by the enormity of that goodness, we are humbled. And, and that's why I wanted to write th this point that way, but instead I decided to go here. I decided that, that, Lord willing, many of us are already in the humble area. We've already been crushed by his holiness. So we look up and we find salvation. We find redemption. Psalm 18:27. you save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Now, he doesn't save us because we're humble. He doesn't look at us and go, oh, okay, you finally reached the level of humility. Now you're welcome in. We look up and find salvation through the perfect and finished work of Jesus, our Savior. Had a conversation <clears throat> with a 12-year-old boy on Tuesday. His name is Diem. He's an African immigrant lives in the city, is part of a ministry that I support, and he's had a hard life. They're poor. I mean, even in America, they're, they're America poor. And he's a twin, and his, his twin brother has already died. And here's Diem, just being honest with me. And he said, Pastor Mark, someone once told me if I don't share the gospel enough that I won't get into heaven. Is that true? I said, Diem, what do you think? He said, I don't know. I said, Diem... Getting into heaven has nothing to do with your goodness. It has nothing to do with the amount of people that you've told about Jesus or the times that you've prayed or the money you've put in the offering plate or the times you smiled at your teacher. The fact that you get to go to heaven is because Jesus was good enough for you. And I saw his eyes get a little bit big. And we talked about the cross. I said, you, you know crosses, right? Yeah, he goes to church. Yeah, I know crosses. I said, what's that all about? I don't, Jesus died on it. Okay. Well, why did he die on it? I don't have any idea, he said. Then I told him about um, the passing of Jesus' goodness, the trade-off, uh, the fact that um, he was a substitute for us. And I told Diem that, really, Diem, you deserve to die that death, that I should have been there dying because of my sin. But the great switch happened, the great exchange at Calvary, that Jesus died for my sins and your sins too, Diem. And, and the perfect life that he lived, he now gives to us, and that's why you get to go to heaven. And church, that's really the gospel. That's what humility is, that, oh my goodness, in my wretchedness, he loved me enough to die for me. Who am I to say that I have any excellence in myself? I don't, I have sin. But he's replaced that. He's exchanged that with his goodness. So now the Father sees me. He sees you as perfect, as without sin, and welcomed into his kingdom. And that's humility. We'll wrap up here with number six. This is your real action step. Oh, there's a quote from Tim Keller. You can't pass a bull, Tim Keller. Again, a pastor, um, New York City, different than us in a couple areas. We want to be aware of that, but I think he hits it right on the head here. He says, the irony of the gospel is that the only way to be worthy of it is to admit that we are completely unworthy of it. So here we are at number six. Humble people serve others. 
This is what we look like when we're humble. This is our <clears throat> action step. This is our application for the day. Humble people serve others. We use this text a lot in sermons, and why not? It's truth from God's word. It's helpful and encouraging. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. Humble people serve people. A couple weeks ago here at Vacation Bible School, about 250 kids came into our building for a week and were loved on and laughed and got treats and saw animals and heard of the gospel of Jesus. And how did that happen? Because 101 of you volunteered and served out of your humility. Thank you. That's Working VBS is hard. Thank you for that. 250 kids came in and heard about Jesus because humble people serve Servant Saturday um, of last year and this spring, in the middle of a pandemic, combining the two, 59 projects happened and 2,200 individual acts of service occurred because of your humility and your service. Because humble people serve. Thank you. Thanksgiving care and share last November, in the middle of a pandemic, because of your service, 1,305, 1,305 meals went out because humble people serve people. Advent generosity last year, remember the lead up to Christmas, we asked you to support ministry. In the middle of a pandemic, 2,140 children received gifts, 104 families were blessed, over 300 homeless men and 47 senior, senior citizens received blessing because of your service. Thank you, it's fun to be a part of a church that serves. But my challenge for us this morning is this. How do we give even, even more? In a spirit of authentic Christian humility, let's see if we can't give more, if we can't serve more, if we can't bless more out of a real spirit of selflessness, out of a real spirit of humility. The mark of humility is really how we treat others. And that mark of humility shows up as, as we serve others. So we wrap up this morning with a couple of next steps, and these are in your uh, worship folder. Um, take some time to search yourself and see where you are in the area of humility. Is there any area where there's a love of your own excellence, where there's a confidence in your own excellence, this idea that uh, I'm not in need of God? That's pride. Um, secondly, rejoice that your salvation has been secured by Jesus. We don't have to work for it. God isn't depending on my own excellence because I ain't got any and neither do you. But Jesus' excellence has been put in me and now God the Father sees that. Rejoice in that. And number three, find ways to serve in your church and outside of your church. We have great programs here to serve, but do it out there too on your own, whatever that looks like for you and your family. Let's come together in prayer. Lord, we are challenged because so many of us think, and I am guilty of this too, I'm not really that bad. We have confidence in our own excellence. We have a love of our own excellence, and that's sinful pride. And so now we understand how Martin Luther could say it really is at the core of all sin because that um, self-confidence, that unholy self-confidence drives us to sin and allows us to give ourselves um, permission to sin. And it's, it's, a, it's a deadly deception. Help me to understand that better. Move me to godly humility. Move our congregation to godly humility that we might, we might love you better, that we might serve you and serve others better. And we pray all of this in the mighty, everlasting, never-changing, and forgiving name of Jesus. And together all of us say, amen.